Hello and welcome once again to another edition of the Cover Crop Strategies podcast. I'm your host, Noah Newman, Associate Editor. Before we get started, let's thank our sponsor, Lacrosse Seed. Solving the soil health puzzle, Lacrosse Seed has you covered. Cover crops are an important piece to future profit, but it takes work and is puzzling at times. Lacrosse Seed delivers quality soil first cover crop products, plus training and tools to help you succeed. Whether you're looking to grow your cover crop seed business, get product tips, or find a local soil first dealer, Lacrosse Seed is ready to help. Learn more at soilfirst.com. That's soil1st.com or call 800 356 seed. Former civil engineer Michael Vitito runs a 1,400-acre operation with his dad and sister in Washington, Iowa. Over the last three years, they've gone 100% all-in on cover crops with their corn and soybeans. For this episode of the podcast, Michael shares step-by-step how they're maximizing the benefits of cereal rye in front of those cash crops. His family experimented with interseeding several years ago. Michael explains how that got the creative juices flowing when it comes to using diverse mixes for grazing. He also shares one valuable tip to consider when terminating covers. Without further ado, here's Michael. My name is Michael Vinson, a farmer in southeast Iowa. Farm with my dad and my sister, multi-generation family farm. Primarily corn and soybeans. We've also started growing some cereal rye for cover crop seed. Uh, and then we also have livestock. We've got some confinement hogs, and then I've got about 50 head of cattle, and I've got about 40 chickens as well. So we're kind of playing around with some different stuff out on the pasture with the cattle and the chickens as well. So yeah, about 1,400 acres, primarily corn and beans. Like I said, uh, we've been we've been no till since no till since the I want to say the late 80s, sometime in there when Dad and Grandpa started started playing around with no-till and and whatnot and so that's been going on for quite some time and then uh, I want to say about 10 years with cover crops in the last three years we've been 100% cover crops on our operation uh, primarily cereal rye as the as the cover crop Um, so yeah that's kind of our operation in a nutshell yeah, we'll jump into the details of, about those cover crops here in a second. But I wanted to ask you sure. about this. So you spent five years working as a civil engineer before <laughs> returning to the farm. So what made you want to come back and how does your engineering experience help? Oh, that's a, that's a good question. Uh, yeah, so I when I was growing up, I, I wasn't super into the farm stuff and whatnot. You know, I spent I spent some time out in the hog buildings. You know, we were fair to finish, so I was... A, I was in the farrowing house and, and loading hooks and whatnot. And it, it wasn't, it wasn't something that was super appetizing to me, I guess, as a kid. So, you know, when I was getting up there in high school, I decided I wanted to go to school for engineering and, and went ahead and did that and got a, got a job and was working, working in an office, you know, the, the normal, the normal cubicle farm life, working, working in an office for five years and, and kind of, kind of got a wild hair that I, wanted to try this farm thing at one point and you know talk to mom and dad and we were able to make something happen and so i i ended up uh coming back to the farm full-time in 2014 and i've been been around here ever since but but yeah it's it's definitely a lot different you know working working on the farm as opposed to working in a working in an office for a for a big corporation you know there's 
there's a, there's a lot, there's a lot of things that are different. You know, it's just a couple of us out here. A lot of times we're working all alone or by ourselves, you know, and, and, uh, as opposed to being in an office with hundreds of people and, and, and whatnot. So it's definitely, definitely a change of pace and the different, different things that we're getting into, you know, from day, some days we're plumbers, some days we're electricians, some days we're agronomists, sometimes we're heavy equipment operators, all the different stuff that we get into. It kind of keeps you on your toes and, and, uh, makes, makes life interesting. But, you know, I think, I think the biggest thing that, that I've pulled away from the engineering side of things, uh, and brought it back into the farm, you know, isn't, isn't so much to do with the actual engineering book work and whatnot that I, that I did in school, like applying any of that type of stuff so much as it is the problem solving ability and, and whatnot, trouble, troubleshooting and figuring out the root causes of problems, um, and, and trying to fix those problems. I think, I think that's something that is kind of deeply ingrained in everybody in engineering schools, you know, solving problems and, and whatnot. And so I think, I think that, that is something that has been a big, uh, value, benefit, whatever you want to call it, uh, on the, on the farm, uh, bringing it back to the operation. And, and, you know, a couple of examples of that, you know, it comes, it comes down to anything like troubleshooting and the hog buildings and, and, you know, that type of stuff. Anytime we have something acting up, uh, I, I like tearing into it and figuring out what the problems are. But then, but then also, you know, you get into some of the agronomic stuff with it, like, you know, weed, weed problems and anything like that. When I, when I first came back to the farm, we were still just running Roundup beans and Roundup every year was working less and less and less as far as, uh, burn down herbicide. Like, it wasn't, it wasn't killing our water hemp anymore. And so we were, we were having some issues with that. And, and, uh, you know, that's, that's one of the things that we've been able to kind of overcome with our cover crops by utilizing the cover crops to the maximum that they can possibly be used, uh, letting them get big and, you know, leveraging their weed suppression ability to address some of these weed issues that we were running into. Um, you know, to the point now where we've, we've cut back our, our chemical use by probably something like 75% at this point, I want to say. And, you know, we're able to have clean fields and, and whatnot. So, you know, it went from, we were having to ramp up chemical more and more and more and still having weed issues. But now that, now that we're kind of figured out how to solve the actual problem that we have with our cover crops and use them, you know, we're, we're, really not having any weed problems anymore other than just kind of little, little patches here and there, but it's not difficult to spot treat those. So yeah, I think, I think that's, uh, that's, that's definitely been a big, a big benefit for us. I know you want to talk about really uh, maximizing cereal rye in front of soybeans. Yep. Yep. So, so yeah, cereal rye is the main thing that we're, that we're utilizing. Uh, we, we run it in front of both corn and soybeans uh, from a, from a convenience factor as much as anything in the fall. Um, that way we just have, you know, we've got our seed that we grew and we keep it in the tender or keep it in wagons until it needs to go in the tender. And then we don't have to worry about cleaning the drill in between corn and beans and whatnot. Maybe, maybe make some rate adjustments, uh, between the two, but that's, but that's kind of, uh, a, a thing that we've, we've been able to make work around here is just running, just running rye, uh, 
monoculture rye. I know that's not necessarily the best thing from the soil health standpoint, running a monoculture cover crop, but but that's what we've been doing and we've been able to make it work. Um, and and so what we're doing is after after we harvest our cash crops in the fall, uh, we go out and we drill the cereal rye. Typically, we're drilling in 10-inch twin rows, so we're leaving, and that's on 30-inch centers. Everything's on 30-inch rows. Um, so my drill's got 10-inch rows on it, and I just plug every third opener to make 10-inch twin rows and leave a 20-inch gap, and then that's where we plant our corn or our beans uh, the following year. Um, and so that way, we're kind of able to have some separation between the cover crop and the cash crop come the spring uh this time of year you know it's at least today's june 1st so we've got we've got essentially all of our planting is done and now we're starting to shift into uh cover crop termination time as far as in our soybeans um so the the rye the rye is all big and headed out right now and so it's been it's been growing all spring here and uh so now now what we do is we go out with the in-row roller and roll the rye down in between the rows and and that'll that'll knock it down and it's, we've got the chopping blades on these things we've got the dawn dawn in-row in-row rollers in rolls uh just built this toolbar this spring um but we so we've got the chopping blades on the in-row roller row units and we're going through and knocking everything down and chopping it up it's not it's not quite ready to crimp yet as far as maturity goes but we're rather dry so we're trying to get this stuff managed a little bit so it doesn't keep sucking water super hard from our soil profile uh and get it laid down and then we'll come back with a we'll come back with a herbicide pass here and and probably the next week or two sometime uh depending on what our weed pressure looks like out there now that we're getting it laid down so that's that's kind of the that's kind of the best way that we're that we figured out to go about it with our soybeans. You know, 30, 30 inch soybeans planted early and let those things go and and run run the rye on twins and go in there and, and roll it down in between the thirty inch rows and it creates an awesome mat and and suppresses weeds really good and and, and whatnot. So that's that's definitely the uh, the go to for us around here with soybeans. Now the roller is that is that something you've used for several years, or 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 as an engineer, are you always looking to kind of tinker with your equipment and and, and try out new things? So, so the roller that we're using this year is it's brand. We just got it put together like a week ago. Um, so it's got brand new Dawn in roll row units on it. It's a 40, 40 foot roller with with seventeen seventeen roller row units on it. So we. We just got that put together, so we're we're getting the getting the bugs worked out of it and kind of tinkering on it some. But I really I really like the job it does. But we've we've been doing this in row rolling thing for a couple of years now. Uh, previously, I had, I had built a homemade in row roller out of some old BMI strip till rolling baskets and beefed them up with some extra steel and and whatnot. And and uh, so that's what we've been using the last couple of years to figure out you know what what we can do with this system what we can't do with the system um and you know kind of gain the confidence that you need to go ahead and write the check for the expensive row units from dawn um you know so that's that's what we've been doing so this is our third year with the in-row roller but first year with an actual legit in-row roller and and yeah i'm i'm liking what i've been seeing so far i think I think this tool has the has the ability to do a lot of stuff other than just rolling 
cereal rye, but that's obviously the bread and butter of what we got it for. So we're, we're using it for that right now. But I think, I think it'll be something that can be a highly versatile tool for us moving forward for years to come. So then just to kind of lock in your timeline. So you, you put the rye in, in the fall. Is that, is that in yep. October or November or? Oh, it, it kind of depends. So, so on corn stalks where we're going to soybeans, I, I typically like to wait until I, I, I'm one that likes to wait a little bit longer. So my rye isn't super aggressive come springtime. I, I want it to be a little bit more mellow because we're going to be planting, planting our cash crops into that and letting it go for a while, like especially our soybeans. You know, we'll, we'll plant our soybeans in, in early April if we have a good weather pattern and then let everything grow together for two or three months even. I think that checks out. At least two months, typically, we're running everything together, six weeks to two months. So I, I'm trying to not make my rye super aggressive to the point where it completely shades out my soybeans that I plant in the spring. So typically, I'll go out, you know, I'll at least wait until October. First week of October is okay. I'll, I really like the second, third, second and third week of October. That's kind of the sweet spot. But then we'll keep drilling all the way into December if we have to. But uh, so on corn stalks, I'm, I like to have it out there in that mid October, late October time frame. That's kind of the sweet spot. But on, on soybean stubble where we're going to corn, I don't like to go out and drill that stuff until at least we hit November. Um, just to kind of even further set the rye back. I feel I've found that rye ahead of corn works a lot better when it's, when it's seeded really late in the fall and it doesn't get a whole lot of fall growth. It just, it doesn't have quite as big of a root system and it's a little bit more tame, uh, come the springtime and it's not, it's not quite as aggressive. Uh, so, so it's not, it's not nearly as problematic with the corn, um, come, come the next, the next year, you know, because we're, we're out here to grow corn to make money, not, not grow a cover crop to, to get likes on Twitter, you know, so whatever, (laughs) whatever we need to do to get, to get the best corn yield, that's what we're going to do. And that's, that's where the late planted rye ahead of corn seems like it, it, uh, it's kind of a, a good way to, to make the rye work uh, in our system anyways. Take a quick time out back to the podcast in just a second. But once again, let's thank our sponsor, Lacrosse Seed. Solving the soil health puzzle, Lacrosse Seed has you covered. Cover crops are an important piece to future profit, but it takes work and is puzzling at times. Lacrosse Seed delivers quality, soil-first cover crop products plus training and tools to help you succeed. Whether you're looking to grow your cover crop seed business, get product tips, or find a local Soil First dealer, Lacrosse Seed is ready to help. Learn more at SoilFirst.com. That's Soil1ST.com or call 800-356-SEED. Now, back to the podcast. Now, I know uh, interseeding is something that you guys kind of uh, dabbled in several years ago, not necessarily yep. doing it anymore. But what what did you learn? What were your big takeaways from when you guys were experimenting with interseeding? Sure. So we we started playing around with interseeding back in 2016, I believe it was. Uh, and so 16, 17, and 18, we were we were doing some interseeding trials, some small stuff, uh, small acre stuff, uh, just to kind of see what we could see what we could get going um the main the main thing we were trying to do with that was just get more diversity in our operation uh, as far as plant species go uh without without having to bring a small grain in and whatnot 
So that was something that we were playing with. And, you know, generally speaking for us around here, I, we've got, we've got quite a bit of water hemp in the area. So water hemp is a big issue where, you know, if you run the herbicides that you need to manage the water hemp sufficiently, it's difficult to get the interseeded covers to come through those herbicides, whether it be, you know, Callisto to burn the water hemp down. It has a little bit of residual and that's just going to take out, that's going to take out any of the small seeded uh, broadleaves like clovers and whatnot. They, they're not able to get through that. And then the same thing, same thing with any group 15 residual like dual or, or, uh, or anything like that uh it seemed like when we were running the rates that we needed to 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 get decent water hemp control uh we weren't able to get the covers to come through that and then if we backed that stuff off then we weren't having good water hemp control and the water hemp would kind of overrun everything and choke the covers out and whatnot so so yeah that was where we played around with it a little bit and weren't able to have super good luck with it and so kind of just uh quit quit doing it back in i think 19 we did a little tiny bit of it uh that that would have been our last year doing it um but from that point 2018 was when i started my cattle herd and so that was kind of where that creative energy from you know the diverse covers and whatnot that kind of got moved into the cattle side of things where we're able to do you know full season grazing cover crops on 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 some acres and, and that type of stuff to really maximize the benefits of of that type of uh system um and so that's what that's what we've been building kind of ever since then uh so so i'll run with my with my cattle and my full season grazing uh paddocks all i'll run like uh the same thing like your cereal rye in the fall and then or oats in the early spring, just like a cool season cereal on the front end of the growing season and graze that in the spring until that stuff's no longer good to graze. And then go out and just drill, drill into that a warm season mix, like with sorghum stand grass, some millet, some cow peas, throw some soybeans, even some corn in there if you wanted to. Uh, and then also if I, if I don't have much as far as clovers or like annual ryegrass in the seed bank, then I'll throw some of that stuff in there. But generally speaking, I've gotten my seed bank built up uh, on all those paddocks to the point where I don't need to throw the clovers or the annual rye or anything like that in there anymore. Uh, so I can just kind of run more the straight, uh, straight warm season stuff in the drill, which cheapens up the mix a little bit. But, but uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of how that works. So graze the cool season stuff early on until it's, no longer good then drill the warm season stuff in there and let it take over during the heat of the summer and uh and yeah that that works that seems to work pretty good um a little bit of manure makes makes that system work a little bit better it because it's you know gives it a little bit more nutrition for that for that forage to to really get off and running and and whatnot otherwise otherwise like if it's a, a pasture that hasn't necessarily been a pasture for very long and that doesn't have all the all the good stuff from the biology already in it, you know, it might not have, it might not have the punch to, to really push that warm season to the ability that it possibly can. So a little bit of manure makes a big difference on that. But, but uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of what I've been working on the last few years is getting that system dialed in. So right, right now, uh, uh, today I've got my cattle on, they're about halfway through the oats 
on their first grazing pass. So the oats, the oats are not quite boot stage yet right now. So they're, they're really tender. They're going through them really good. Uh, chomping on those, getting that grazed off. And then I'll probably get one more grazing pass on that, on that oat crop before I drill the warm season. Um, so warm season stuff's generally drilled anytime first, second, third week of June kind of seems to be the sweet spot. You get much past the summer solstice and growth doesn't quite match what it could be if it would have been out, you know, a little bit earlier, but you can still get decent growth out of it in the right conditions. So yeah, but that's, that's where some of that diversity stuff has been getting applied instead of the interceding thing into corn. Um, you know, because we're able to really, really push the envelope a lot farther with, with the cattle than we were with corn. So, yeah. How, how much of a, of a game changer has that been for the, for the grazing operation when you're using, uh, a diverse set of mixes? I mean, it sounds like you're using close to 10 to 15 species at a time. Would that be accurate? Oh, I mean, yeah, I would say there's some, there's some paddocks out there where there's, where there's even more, more stuff than that. Um, it's, it's just kind of going to depend on a number of things. I, I, like I said earlier, I've, I've been trying to get my seed bank built up to the point where I don't necessarily have to put all those species in my seed mix that I'm putting through the drill every year. Uh, and so on some of those fields where I've been doing that for quite a while, you know, we've, we've picked up some, some seeds from the, from the historic seed bank, you know, some, some of them are weed seeds, but like, you know, some of those, some of those plant species or weed species that, that were out there, the cattle will graze them really good. Uh, you know, if you can, if you can time everything just right. And so, you know, that's, that's what I, that's what I've been kind of playing with, you know, see, just seeing what grows and what we can get the cattle to graze. And, and, uh, you know, the more, the more diversity, the better it seems. So if there's, if there's something out there that nature says that we need to have growing, then I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not going to really try and get in the way too terribly much unless it's, you know, something like cockleburs or, you know, some, something that's going to be really a really bad deal if it starts taking everything over, you know? So, so yeah, I, I, there's, there's some, some paddocks out there that probably have 30 plus species or 40 plus species growing in them. I, I don't know. I haven't even counted, but, but yeah, generally when I'm putting seed out, I'll probably put, anywhere from five to 10 species in there, depending on what my goals are and what, what the seed bank looks like in that paddock. So it's, it's definitely a, it's definitely a neat thing to watch, you know, once, once all that stuff starts going and, and uh, growing together and, and whatnot, there's, there's some really cool stuff that happens, but, but uh, yeah, as far, as far as being a game changer, I guess, for me, that's the only way that I've ever done it. You know, I didn't have a cattle herd to start with, so I didn't have any previous previous experience, experience or any other habits or anything like that. So, you know, when I started the cattle herd, it was to do stuff like this. So I, I don't even know what it would be like to try and graze the other way without without having that. But but I know like in the middle of the in the middle of the summer when that warm season mix is in its prime, you know, you're talking mid-August in there, the, the cool season grass pastures, even the stuff that I have that's getting managed pretty good, you know, they're, they're just not really doing a lot of growing at that time of year. Every, everything's hot and it's dried out and the cool seasons are kind of dormant. Um, so that, you know, some people call that the summer slump, 
but that's right when you know that's right when the summer annuals the warm season mixes are in their prime so you just keep the animals on the really good stuff all year round and and you know let let the cool seasons kind of rest during that hottest period of the summer and and then they'll start growing again pretty good in the in the fall and you can jump back on them and at that point and and it seems like it's a really good system you know to to make that work it's it can be tricky to to graze to graze year round like I try and do that obviously in the wintertime I feed but like during the during the growing season trying to have something that's in prime forage all the time can be can be a little bit tricky but that's where that's that's where you can get real creative with some of the stuff you use you know the the rye and the oats and and then the the perennial stuff and then the warm seasons and then you get into you get into some more uh more more cool seasons again in the fall and whatnot and, and uh it's, it's neat to neat to link everything together into a, a good grazing program like that and the cattle seem to really appreciate it too yeah sounds like that system's really working for you you mentioned earlier that uh cover crops one of the major impacts they've had on your operation is just uh decreasing the amount of herbicide usage anything yep. anything else that you could think of in terms of most noticeable impact covers have had on your operation? Oh, I mean, the erosion control benefits obviously are, are a big deal. Um, anywhere that we've got any sort of slope, you know, if, if we aren't running covers, uh, we'll, we'll typically, even in a no-till system, we'll see a little bit of erosion. Um, and part of that, you know, just is we might not be doing as good of a job at infiltrating as we possibly can. And then you start getting some runoff and it concentrates in the, in the low spots and you start getting washouts and whatnot. And, and what we've noticed is since we've, since we've started using covers more and keeping, keeping living roots out there, you know, all year round, we're, we're, we're infiltrating a lot more water. Uh, and, and that's making it so we don't have the runoff and we don't have the washouts and whatnot, uh, developing from heavy rainfalls. It all, it, it also has its own set of challenges when you start infiltrating that much water uh you know if we get a really wet spring then you're infiltrating all that water and you start to you start to deal with other issues uh as far as that goes you know like nitrogen loss and and whatnot because you're flushing more water through the soil uh but that's where we're trying to address that by stabilizing stuff with things like humic acid and whatnot where we're putting our hog manure out in the fall just to try and keep things keep things in the system that we want in the system and, 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 uh, you know, not, not be sending nutrients downstream, uh, if we can help it. So, so, you know, inputs, inputs are expensive these days. So anything we can do to, to keep those nutrients in our field, that's, you know, that's what we're going to be trying to do. So that's, so that's a big deal, the erosion control. And then, and then also, uh, you know, we have, Using the rye the way we have been in, on soybeans, we just don't really have issues with our soybeans having wet feed anymore because the rye, the rye this time of year is really pulling a lot of water out of the soil. So if we have a wet spring, we let the rye go and and suck as much water out of the soil profile as we can, and it just kind of keeps that keeps that uh, keeps that top layer of soil. Uh, from getting too terribly saturated and keeps it aggregated a little bit better having having that root system there uh longer into the year and then that lets the beans get up and running and once they get their root system established then it's about time to 
to roll the covers down and get them out of the way and let the beans take over. So it, it kind of just, it's a nice buffer against the weather uh, as far as, as far as moisture goes, like on some of our flat, heavy fields, uh, we've got some really heavy clay soil. So that's, that's something that we've battled over the years. And, and it seems like the, the way we're doing our soybean program seems to really, really take care of that, uh, in a good way. Well, I like to always close out the podcast by asking our guests for a tip or, or some kind of advice for people out there who might be listening. It is called Cover Crop Strategies. So do, do you have anything yeah. you'd like to offer to our audience before we let you go? Uh, the, the, main thing, the main thing I have to say is uh, if you let your cover crop get big, do whatever you can to get it laid down on the soil. Uh, that's that's going to maximize the benefits from that. If you can if you can get that cover crop rolled down uh, instead of letting it spraying it out and just letting it fall over on its own, I, I feel like there's there's lots of benefits to rolling big covers down. So if you can figure out how to make that happen on your operation, you'll be on the right track. Thanks to Michael for joining us this week. Before we go, let's once again thank our sponsor, Lacrosse Seed. Are you solving a soil health puzzle? Lacrosse Seed has you covered. Cover crops are an important piece to future profit, but it takes work and is puzzling at times. Lacrosse Seed delivers quality soil first cover crop products, plus training and tools to help you succeed. Whether you're looking to grow your cover crop seed business, get product tips, or find a local soil first dealer, Lacrosse Seed is ready to help. Learn more at soilfirst.com. That's soil1st.com or call 800. 800- 356C. That's going to do it for this week's edition of Cover Crop Strategies, the podcast. Hope you enjoyed listening. Thanks for being with us. And until next time, remember for all things cover crops, head to covercropstrategies.com.